Thor Parrish, the golfing extraordinaire who literally changed my swing, what, in <laughs> five strokes, I think yeah, it was. I think we did an hour lesson and we only did about 10 minutes of it was actually a lesson and you learned a lot. I was think. that 10? It felt like five. I haven't watched the video yet, but it was like, I think I did five swings. Yeah. And I was, I went home raving this days because it's like, I, I enjoy golf, but I don't love it. Like some people love it. And I go yeah. to stays, I'm like, I think I like it a bit more now. <laughs> well, the, the, the feeling of hitting a good golf shot is addicting. They always oh, joke dude. that there's that one shot every round that gets you coming back. Like mm. you could have a million bad shots, but there's that one shot that's like, yep, I'm coming back tomorrow. That's, that was it. There definitely was something to do. Like at first when you rearrange my grip, I, I think I said it to you when we were on the day, it felt real retarded <laughs> where I was like, this just doesn't feel, not, feel natural because you know you had to show you two knuckles on your left hand, then hold it like this. It was just so abnormal. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I went to swing it, I'm like, oh, now it makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt normal swinging. It's, most of my job is helping people break habits. Mm-hmm. And when you're breaking a habit, it's really uncomfortable at first. And so you have to um, reinforce it over and over and over again to make it more comfortable. But initially it's just super strange. Yeah, but it, I don't, maybe, I mean, I've got very good um, I guess body awareness. Like you tell me something, I'll figure it out relatively quick from freaking decades of and millions of hours of body work. Um, but it was interesting to feel how quickly it felt natural versus unnatural. Yeah, you had a you had a very nice swing. You did initially coming into it for sure. And I I mean I see like I can see a good mover versus a bad mover and you're a good mover. Mm. And just because you've used your body and you're physically fit and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm like, yes, okay. I'm a good mover. <laughs> like I can actually like, I can help them a lot faster than someone who will have a lot uh, worse movements or limitations or compensations kind of yeah. thing. And it's true as well. Like when you, it's funny now when I watch people swing on freaking TikTok or whatever, I'm like, ah, no, no, no. Like, make sure you pull it around, do this. <laughs> the TikTok golf scene is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So I, I w- refused to be on TikTok for a long time because my wife was on it and she was just addicted to it. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, it can't be that great, right? And then I get it and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. So I'm just like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Uh-huh. And, and, um, and again, like I look at social media as a necessity for my business, my brand, my my goal to to get my self out there. Yeah. And so when I opened it up, I'm like, okay, what do people want to watch? I'm like, well, I work with kids a lot. So I'm the junior golf coach on mm. TikTok. And I posted like three or four videos and those three or four videos got hundreds of thousands of views like right away. Mm. And um and so I've I've continued to post on it pretty regularly and I get the algorithm really quickly, but the community of golfers on TikTok is is this massive super niche cult like group of people and it's awesome i love it it's super fun i'm glad that you're doing it because it's it's just such a weird marketing tool especially like naples area they don't get it i think we had this conversation about you know you tell someone eight grand for a a billboard on 75 they're like yeah yeah that makes sense you tell them eight grand for a month of content they're like whoa ho and you're like dude that's insanely more valuable especially like the, how you're tapping in to the a culture that, I mean, they're not driving down 75. 
these are people that are all across the country. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, it, my, so my wife is in marketing. She does PR for the Southwest Florida Inc., which is the Bonita Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And so she did these whole solarpreneur classes. So it's about LinkedIn and TikTok and different forty-five minute classes. And so I got to learn a lot for free because she was charging people, but she would test run it on me. And one of the interesting things is consumers, 80% of consumers will check a a product social media page before purchasing the product. Mm. So that's why having a presence is so important for for anyone who's selling something because 80% of your consumers are going to just at least look at your social media. And if you if they look at your social media, so, I mean, she used to work with um, high-end real estate and uh, these big communities. And if someone's going to buy a three, four million dollar house and they go check up the, the community on social media and they got like 10 followers and three posts, they're going to be like, okay, yeah. maybe I don't want to be a part of this community, um, even though the house is gorgeous. But 80% of consumers are checking social media. So it's the same thing with me when I'm selling golf lessons or who I am or all that kind of stuff. Although they might not find me through social media, they will check it. And yeah. they will want to make sure that like I match my brand. Yeah. And it's cool too because um, you're very genuine on it, which a lot of people struggle. I've not, <laughs> That's one thing I talk about a lot of people. I'm like, you know, you guys have to make sure that you're not selling it's actually it's ironic the less you sell the more you people want to buy yeah and i find a lot of people are starting to realize that but they want to just make the sale versus the, your content like a, a, a clip that you've made freaking months ago could be the catalyst that makes someone convert to your services oh for sure literally that could be the thing yeah and it's way easier to be consistent when you're genuine yeah, because uh, it's tiring. It's a lot, right? I used to. I mean, when I first started getting into it, I'm like, okay, thinking of strategic ways of when to post and how to post, and making sure that it's informative. And God, it was exhausting. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, let, let's just keep it genuine. And as long as I keep it genuine, it keeps it organic, and it, the consistency comes a lot more through it. And that's all it is: is consistency yeah. over and over and over again. And um, and I even say so. Like I I sell a service. I don't sell a product, right? And lots of people struggle with getting on social media and creating a brand when you're not selling a product. Like they Mm. don't see it pay off right away. But the people I've been able to meet through social media has been incredible. Yeah. As a networking tool within itself, right? And so I think it's I think it's overlooked in that sense too of it as a networking tool, not only as you're selling a product, but to meet people and engage with people and find that community through yeah. social media and they can organically find you because that's what i'm noticing with the um with the podcast with the clips you know i've got people in the area now that are starting to follow me i've some of them have been on my radar but i i just don't want to be that guy being like hey you want to make videos <laughs> i'm very good because it is just again it's annoying mm-hmm. versus them hearing me talk about it or not even that just me talking to someone who's interesting in the area that they know yep and then they're like Huh? Who is this guy? Yeah, you for know? sure. Um, that's that. That's the beauty of it. But so with, I want to talk about golf. Cause okay, let's do I, it. I'm, I've, I mean, I've already bought. I haven't booked yet, but my birthday is going to be a top golf. I know it's not golf golf. Oh no, it's golf golf. Yeah, that's golf. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the. Uh, I call it ten pin bowling. Americans just call it bowling because yep. we have like four types of bowling yeah. in Australia. 
It's like the ten pin bowling with bumpers. Yep. Yeah, 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 it is. I mean, it's 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 much more like bowling than it is like going to a golf course. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Bowling is super fun. I go bowling two, three times a year, right? But it's not a culture. It's not a community, right? Mm. It's not. It's 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 a gateway to the community and culture of golf. Yeah. And so. As a PGA professional and as a um, golf instructor, I'm always trying to look of ways to bridge that gap. So now that we got you touching a golf club and you're like, oh, that was kind of fun, right? Like, how do we segue you into the golf culture? Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are old school and definitely don't think it's the right direction the game should be going. But I think it's I think it's the way it has In to In terms go. of networking at all, you mean? No, just even... Um, I mean, uh, you were at the the country club last mm. week. Beautiful, by the way. Beautiful, right? I Gorgeous. Walked in, I was like a kid doing a candy store. Yeah. Like, Whoa. But when I told you about the dress code, you were like, "Oh my god!" I, I, go. I, I knew that was coming, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you understood it, right? <laughs> I've, I've been banned from enough golf clubs in my history. <laughs> yeah, and I, so with the junior golf academy that we've done at Quail Creek, is we've shifted the culture significantly by bringing in all these young families mm. who want that type of um, lifestyle, that golf lifestyle, but. They're younger. They're not necessarily going to be tucking in their shirts as often. And so there's been a little bit of conflict back and forth. And I mean, I honestly, I, I enjoy the dress code because I think it sets a precedence of what you're supposed to act like on a mm. golf course. And it's great for kids too, because like you wear a uniform for soccer, you wear a uniform for baseball. This is your uniform for golf. But the nice thing about it is you get to teach etiquette and manners and all those things through this uniform where you might not get that through soccer. Or you yeah. might not get that through baseball where it's just like, oh, it's your jersey. You wear it so you know we're on what team you're on. With golf, it's like it's more than that. Like you have to tuck in your shirt because you want to look proper. You have to make sure it's collared because this is a nice environment, right? And so I think there's positives and negatives to it. Um, but you just have to be progressive and understand that people aren't going to get it right away. And so yeah. you have to be very patient and understanding to help, help them mm. do it. Because, I mean, it was probably uncomfortable um, for you to, to walk in initially with like your joggers and all that kind of stuff but then you walk out and you're matching everybody and it's totally fine but yeah i don't mind wearing those clothes it's just i don't have them yeah like i I, I wore my my wedding pants the second time i've yeah. worn them in what two years because mm-hmm. i don't know I, i'm all about like complete comfort that's why i wear leggings everywhere shorts everywhere runners i'm also in a, a funny uh i guess industry where it's it is way more relaxed. Like marketing kind of, you need yeah. to be a little bit like, <laughs> but, um, but I've also got no problem. Like getting, it was just like getting changed into that stuff. It was just, I didn't have anything. Right. right? Totally. And, when I, and it didn't click until I think the day before where I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I'm like, do I, do I need to, is this a dress code place? And like, it was a dress code place. Yeah, like definitely the, my wife has a, this idea she's always wanted to do called a, uh, what about the bathroom blog? Okay. So like you rate a place based on its bathroom. This place would pass. Yeah. I got I got lost in the bathroom. Yeah. No joke. I walked in to get changed and then went to walk out, walked into the, like the, where the, the urinals and the bathroom yep. and the toilets were. And I'm like, there's no door here. Yeah. I'm like, where do I go? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it, was yeah, that, yeah. it was that confusing. It's crazy. And, and that's actually, so it's, uh, that's the, um, that's not even the main clubhouse bathroom. There's a much larger That's the bathroom. secondary? That's the secondary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if we, it's funny. I've gotten lost in the other one like half a million times. But. It's wild. Yeah. It's super nice. Um, you said it was four square miles. Yep. Is that correct? Wow. And is it 
you said there's two golf courses. Are they par 18s or they par 9s? Yep, nines? both par 18s. Really? Yep, so 36 holes total. Mm-hmm. That is wild. And all in perfect condition. Yeah, great shape. Yeah, the course is in great shape. Um, it's, uh, yep, and it's 40 years old too. One of the mm. oldest golf courses in Naples as well. Um, it's gone through a, a bunch of different transitions. But when you think about like the history of Naples, uh, Quail Creek is definitely a part of that history for sure. Another one would be like the Vineyards Country Club as well, mm. which is just down the road. But um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful facility. Yeah. And so <clears throat> there was, you said there, there was a girl there when we were trying to teach me and you succeeded. Um, you said she was here from South Africa. Like you draw people in internationally with your. Yeah. Your, yeah. The, the golf academy, especially my, my business partner, Spencer Graham, he's world renowned for junior golf instruction. And so he has, um, he, he really draws in these elite level juniors who are trying to take their game to the next level. And, um, and so he has what he calls his elite 15 players. And so these 15 players basically have a national membership with our academy. They travel, they do, um, uh, they, they practice play elsewhere, but they'll come in and use his guidance and our resources to help them take their game to the next level. Wild. And so <clears throat> like you've, you've got, how many people are you, are you teaching? Or is it coaching? Yeah, coaching. How many people are you coaching right now? Yeah, we'll see close to 125 kids a week. A week? A week, yep. 125 Wowza. kids a week. And we're really um, big on long-term development for golfers. So mm-hmm. we try and not see kids for two, three weeks at a time. We try to see them for two, three years at a time. So many of the kids have been in our program since they were six and they're 12 now. And so they see it as, um, I mean... This is something that they, they get excited about every year, the after-school program or our summer camps or all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's no right age to start, but do you notice a very big difference between like a, someone who starts at six versus someone who starts at 12? Is, yeah, well, you have, to, you have to understand that the goal is different for each one of them. So all of our coaches are ADM certified or athletic development model certified and it's a um, certification that's actually through PGA um, Mm -hmm. that teaches you how to do not only age appropriate but developmental appropriate golf instruction so we start golf instruction at age three and we can offer it all the way basically till you're 93 Mm -hmm. but when we look at a three-year-old they're much different than a six-year-old and a six-year-old much different than a 10-year-old so the goal of the lesson is very different my bread and butter is that six and under. Mm-hmm. It really is it's just, I get along with them really well. Um, I, I'm energetic enough that I really engage it. I think I'm visually capturing, they're like, oh my God, this guy's huge, right? <laughs> He's got blonde hair. And so, um, but when I look at a, a lesson with um, a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, I see golf as a great opportunity to teach not only the basics of golf, but etiquette, manners, taking turns. And we also do a lot of like, word association, color association, hand-eye coordination through golf that you might not have with other sports because it's so individualistic. Mm -hmm. A lot of these same age kids will go to soccer or baseball or any of these group activities. But because golf is so individual, they're all at their own stations. They could all be doing separate individual things specific to what they need. I could have a three or a four-year-old who's really working on hand-eye coordination 
flipping the golf ball so that we have the little logo on top. So they flip the logo up, up and then they stare at the logo the whole time. Mm. Or I could have another golfer right next to them working on their balance so they have to swing, hit the golf ball, and then hold their finish for a certain amount of seconds and count the seconds out, right? Okay. And so... Um, What's the benefit to that? Is, or is it just more body awareness? Yeah, more body awareness. Um, I always... There's this... You're allowed to swing as hard as you want as long as you don't fall over, is what I tell every kid, uh, okay. right? Because they all want to just smash the golf ball. And I'm like, listen, go <laughs> ahead, swing as hard as you want, <laughs> but just don't fall over. Yeah. And so when you say that, it's like, okay, that's right. I can't swing so hard that I fall over kind of thing. Because mm. balance is a really big one that they're still developing. I mean, when you look at a five, six, seven-year-old, I mean, they've only been walking for half their life, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing with when you talk about like verbal cues and teaching them as well. Kids are such visual learners, especially before the age of eight, that I try and talk as little as possible during my lessons, where I really try and demonstrate and show or have them demonstrate and show because, again, they've only been using the English language for half their life and they don't even understand most of the words, yeah. right? So the more that I can get them to do it or them to see it, the better that it's gonna translate for them kind mm. of thing. Yeah, okay. That's great. So Because you have a you have a daughter, right? Yeah. How she, old is she? She's seven and a bit months. Okay. So almost eight months. It's wild. Like she she I think she's gonna be similar to me with body awareness where it's just like get up and go. Yep. Because she was she learned how to she she learned how to crawl on her stomach, mm -hmm. and two weeks later, it was like pff, yep. she was she was like she'd been crawling for ages. Yep. And now, uh, this would be a couple of weeks on now. She's any chance she gets, she pull herself up to hold herself. Mm -hmm. um, she will walk along like you know, uh, Mission Impossible style along yeah. the side of the the the, uh, the couch. That we reckon she'll be walking by nine months easy. Yeah, or at least close for sure. And yeah. I mean, it, it, you're probably very encouraging in that too. Like mm. you're, you're very, I mean, athletic, right? So you kind of see like, okay, this is, this is good. Them doing this is good for their physical capacity. So you're probably like pushing her a yeah. little bit, right? Like, like, oh, I see you scaling. So you grab her hands and kind of like help her walk a little bit kind of thing. I, act I actually, so we, I do even less than that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if she's cr climbing something, I'm around her to catch her if yes. she falls, but I actually don't really help her because I'm like, which kind of bit me in the bum a little bit because now she's so freaking strong. Right. We'll tr we try and put her into the um, the car seat mm -hmm. and now she'll immediately turn around. And yesterday I'm like trying to push her in and she's holding one-handed, like doing uh, Tom Cruise Mission Impossible style. And she's just holding herself with one arm. I'm like, where is this super strength coming yeah. from? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and especially in the last few years, you've gotten very, very protective parents of their mm. kids where um, as soon as they fall down, they pick them up and hold them mm. kind of thing, right? Or as soon as something goes wrong, they just swoop in and save the day. And I really see you robbing them as uh, a, from a learning opportunity when you do that. Yeah. When the kid falls down, you shouldn't instantly pick them up. You should make sure they're okay, Yeah. but then support them to get get up on your own kind of thing, right? Make sure everything else is safe, but mm. get up on your own. It creates that, um, the chihuahua effect. So I, I heard about this from a lady who owned four chihuahuas and they were chill. Mm -hmm. I was like, they're normally like complete nutbags. What, what's going on? She goes, it's because how they're, they're taught by the owners, like a small dog is usually, and this is usually owned by a finicky person. Like the less finicky love the big dogs because they're really inconvenient. Um, but 
the small dogs typically if when another dog comes over or another person the per the owner is more likely to pick it up and so every time you pick up the chihuahua you're teaching it that everything's dangerous remove it remove it remove it. right that's why they when they get to a certain age they just start they yap at everything because everything's dangerous and that's what we've been conscious of with our kids and others to come of i've got to let her go through adversity as much as possible yep because otherwise I've, I've just seen the problems it's like i guess it's that rich kid thing where they're always bought everything that they don't know how to work for something for sure you know yeah. that's the stereotype rich kid like it's still i know i have some rich friends who work so freaking hard yeah yeah no 100 <laughs> percent. and i mean like that's really what i try and do with any age or i mean anyone who's in golf instruction or fitness or anything like that i try and create the environment where they want to risk it mm. they want to to try something new right and that they're no okay i'm in a safe place i can try something new i can fail and it's going to be okay kind of thing and so for a kid um that's a lot of like you have to really make sure that they like i'm not big into disciplining kids like that's mm. not my responsibility when you drop your kid off I'm not there to yell at them if they're misbehaving. I'll let you know. I'll let you handle it on your own. You're the parent. You can handle that kind of thing. Um, but, like, I'm really big on just making sure that we're all on the same page, that you have to give it your best effort. And if you don't give it your best effort, that's totally fine. Just this isn't the place for you mm. kind of thing. And so I think we've done a really good job over the last few years of enforcing that and creating a great community of kids who want to get better and who want to um, – fail and be better because of it yeah um, yeah and so I'm, I'm really proud of the community we created with that yeah that's cool so it's, it sounds like you've created like uh the culture is that the uh, the more the the kids want to be better i think when people get added into it like new kids you always become the average of the people around you so um that's cool i i, I really want to make sure <laughs> I'm like, I'm so tempted to, to get Sienna to learn golf. Yeah. Because again, it's just, it's another skill. For sure. <clears throat> um, and it's another opportunity. Like I always encourage parents at a young age, you should do sports that have professional coaches, gymnastics, mm. martial arts, golf, tennis. Those yeah. coaches do that for a living, right? Nothing wrong with volunteer sports, but mm. you can't say that, oh, I'm putting my kids in a sport so they'll be better but the coach of the yeah. program is a, is a volunteer, right? Yeah. Them just kicking a soccer ball around is not going to actually make them a better athlete. It's yeah. the guidance that the professional coach is going to give them that's going to make them a better athlete kind mm. of thing. And so I think it's important. And, I mean, it's not cheap. Don't get me wrong. I uh, my, my rates for adults and juniors are the same. Mm. I don't charge differently. And that's a big thing that I see a lot with golf instructors is they do discounted rates for kids because they feel like, oh, it's just a kid. I mean, <laughs> he's not going to get much out of it. But it's my time. I'm going to yeah. put just as much energy as I would with an adult. Why would I discount myself any any less kind of thing? So, um, again, just another aspect of the culture we're creating at this academy is this is not a place that we're babysitting your kids. Like, we're coaching and we're mm. really being not only uh, coaches for them but also really – like leading by example, right? And everything that I tell them, I live and breathe, whether it's whether it's the way you practice, play, or your lifestyle. Because I'm a big believer in that golf is what's going to keep me fit for the rest of my life. I want to walk 18 mm. holes when I'm 100 years old. And so I got to practice, play, work out, and eat like I'm going to do that when I'm 100. 
And so all the kids have this ongoing joke that I'm Papa Protein because <laughs> I always talk about like, hey, what'd you guys eat today? What'd you eat? What was for lunch? And they're like, oh, mac and cheese and this and that. I'm like, meat and vegetables, meat and vegetables, meat and vegetables. And like if a kid shows up with candy, I'll just be like, oh, can I have a piece? And I'll just take it and throw it. And like, oh, can I have another piece? And so they just know like, oh, that's Coach Thor. He doesn't like any of that kind of stuff. And yeah. so, and um, I mean, last summer we had a bunch of kids uh, sign a petition to put salad as an option for lunch kind of thing because they thought I would like that. I was like, yeah, I would like that. That's awesome. <laughs> no one ate the salad, but at least I'm getting them thinking about it yeah. kind of thing. Well, the, th the thing with kids is they don't know anything that they're not taught. And um, I've seen that with my friends. Uh, his two sons, the eldest one went to a birthday party. You know, birthday parties, crap food. It's terrible all the time. His son runs up to him. He's like, dad, where's the broccoli? This kid would have been four at the time, maybe. And it's because they've, they've really limited how much he got in terms of sugar. But then you see the flip side where it's like, I, I had a personal trainer once. Sorry, no, when I was a personal trainer. When I was a personal trainer, this lady wanted me to write a, a food program for her 14-year-old daughter. And she's like, yeah, she just eats McDonald's all the time. And I go, how does she get it? And she's, she's like, well, she just really enjoys it. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But does she have a license? Right. No. Does she have a car? No. So how does she get it? And she's like, well, I, I drive her there. And I'm like, don't drive her there. Yep. Oh, but she really wants it. I'm like, do you think that me writing on a piece of paper, have this for lunch, is going to change do, her? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yep. like, and for me to take your money to make something, I'm like, I'm just stealing your money because I know this is not going to work. For sure. And we, I mean, I get that. I've heard, I've had that same conversation with when it comes to nutrition, but also when it comes to practicing, my kids never practice. Mm. They never practice. I'm like, your kid's 13. How is he going to get anywhere to practice without you going? So I think the parent coach student relationship is really important. Mm -hmm. And so we try and create very solid communication between all three. So whether that's us having conversations with the parent or with the student or with the student, without the parent, all that kind of stuff, we have to get everyone on the same page. And so um, all of our group instruction, the parents don't come with. Yeah. It's, it's just we go out, we play, all that kind of stuff. But we encourage once a month to do a private lesson where the parent comes with. So then it's me, the student, and the parent, and we talk about everything that we've been working on, and I can they can ask all the questions they want to do, um, they need to, to ask, and then but the group instruction it's so much better when the parent isn't hovering over top of it. Mm. Um, it's a lot better when every once in a while they're there to kind of check in and tune in and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, that kind of hybrid group instruction, private instruction, getting the parent involved has been really really great for us over the last few years yeah yeah you don't want parents uh you see it with i saw a meme the other day it was like it was someone in a, a mma fight and the guy's like he's on top of him hitting him and you know the advice from the people in the crowd was get up get up get up he's like i'm trying right. <laughs> i feel like sometimes again because parents i guess they are like the volunteer coach in a way which they usually the parents usually are the volunteer coaches yeah when you don't know how, like knowing what to do is one thing, but knowing how to communicate it and be patient as well, especially when it's your own kid. Cause you want them, emo like emotionally, you want them to succeed so much that so you end much. up crushing them yep. because you're like, how did you not get that? Yep. That it's, it's that fine line where being involved is important, but also being involved can be detrimental. For sure. And, and so uh, my whole 
master's degree thesis that I wrote was about this relationship between coach, parent, student, and uh, the anxiety it can create for mm. the student, right? So sports are looked at as a great tool to keep kids healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy. But the decline in sports over the last few years has been super significant. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's close to 58% of girls will quit sports before they're 14 years old. Really? Right. So over half of girls are quitting sports and it's increasing in men too, but significantly in women. And, um, and part of it, I think, is parents and coaches not understanding the importance of their role as they develop. Mm -hmm. So what I found through doing this literature review is that when they're younger, the parent is critical for that student's success. The parent should definitely be involved. The parent should definitely be there because in the eyes of a younger athlete, let's just say 12 and under, they don't really care about the coach. I mean, yes, they can look up to him, but at the end of the day, it's the parent is everything, mm. right? But as soon as you switch to that more independent age, 13, 14, 15, the coach plays a much more significant role than the parent does. And it's when the parent feels they need to have the same control that they did when they were younger is when issues start to happen, mm. right? They're not comfortable with letting the kid figure it out on their own with the coach, trusting the coach, developing that relationship of understanding their own game and all this kind of stuff. And then the parent loses control, which puts tension between the student and the coach. And then all of a sudden it just falls apart. Yeah. And um, I mean, I didn't see any research on this, but a lot of kids at that age will switch coaches mm. a lot. will transfer different coaches, try different things all over the place. And I, and I don't think, I think it's important for kids to experience other coaches kind of thing, but I think it's more parent driven than it is student driven. It's not the student asking for a new coach. It's the parent deciding that, oh, there's, that's not the right direction for you. And then they transfer over. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. I wonder too, these, it's kind of good because a coach becomes one dimensional as well in a, in a way. Yeah. Like I see in, whereas when you're in your teens, you also view your parents as, you know, fun killers. Yep. They are controlling me out, like they control me outside of this and they won't let me go see my friends. Or they, there's all these other things that go into it that, I mean, you know, when your parents give you advice, sometimes you're like, whatever. Right. But then you hear someone say the exact same thing yep. and you're like, that's very insightful. hundred <laughs> percent. That that's probably, that's probably, that could be another component to it as well versus just a coach. I only see you when I'm doing the sport. So I, I am constantly perceiving you as the all knowledgeable person mm -hmm. that that is a power because I'll listen to you more versus for sure. And I also stuff. think too, that as a coach, when they get to that age, no longer is it all about like teaching them the, what they're doing wrong. It's mm -hmm. more about, okay, how do we make you self-sufficient in your own game, in your own practice? And sort of for golf specifically, like when I look at a player's progress through golf, I see it being very involved at the beginning. I see it being very evolved as they get to high school. And then I'm like, okay, it's time to back off a little bit. Yeah. Where it's almost like now I don't want to see you every single week. I want to see you once a month, right? Yeah. I want you to check in. I want you to now have these habits and routines where I'm looked at as more of a, a guider 
of your future, then, okay, now it's time to step it up again and again and again kind of yeah. thing, right? Um, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on the coach themselves too when they get to that age and they're getting closer to end of high school, looking to get into college, and now they're like, okay, like I need to see you more often. And it's it's not about seeing the coach more often. It's about, okay, can you apply it to your own life because you got to mm. become self-sufficient at the end yeah. of this. And it's also that book, The Outliers, where they say it's talent gets you not really far. It's always, from everyone they've researched, it's always the ones that put the more hours in. Yep. And there was a thing with Kobe Bryant I saw yesterday or the other day before, and he was talking about, all right, with training basketball, and this, this, this would apply with golf because I'm sure Tiger did the same, Tiger Woods did the same stuff. It was like, you know, you can get up at 8 a.m., train two hours, go have lunch, then, you know, recover, train another two hours from four to six, have a good night rest. You train, you know, four hours a day, that's good. Versus getting up at 4 a.m., training five to seven, having lunch, three hours off, another two hours, three hours off, another two hours, and then train from seven till nine, and you've done it four times. He's like, as a kid, he kind of figured that out because I can have a week off, two weeks off. He doesn't, but he could. And there's no way you're catching up with him in terms of reps because he's like, I'm doing every day, I'm getting another four hours ahead of you. Yep. Yeah. I, I saw you repost it. I really like that. Video. Oh, did you? <laughs> I, I really like that video. Yeah. And um, no, you're exactly right. I mean, it's amazing what you can accomplish in 24 hours. Mm. Um, and there are just, your time gets eaten away by a variety of different things. I mean, one killer social media, iPhones, the internet, right? I mean, if you're not very cognizant of your use of it, mm. it's just going to consume your whole day. I mean, it, it's scary when you look at the screen time for a lot of these <laughs> kids because it's just like, I mean, it's seven, eight hours a day of mm. screen time. And I'm like, you could you could read a book a day kind of thing with that, right? Yeah. Imagine what, what you could do with eight hours. Or, or I get people all the time like, oh, I just don't have enough time. I'm just like, yes, you do. You just, you're just not prioritizing it the right way. kind of. Thing. Yeah, well, that's definitely true. Um, one thing, though, I've got CarPlay in my car. Yep. That counts towards my screen time. I was kind of ticked. Oh, really? I, I didn't was, know that. I was like, there is no chance in Hades I spent nine hours. Sorry, it was like I spent 15 hours last week on Spotify. Okay. That's screen time. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Then I realized, like, wait a minute. It says I had five hours of, of maps. Yeah. Like, and I was like, you yeah because i'm looking at my screen i look at my screen time to check right. and so i mean at the same yeah you can be very cognizant of it i mean like i don't like i can't remember the last time i was in a car not listening to a podcast mm. right i mean like i think that's that's great or listening to an audiobook or anything like that right i think that's a great use of your time if you don't feel like you have time to read i mean it's a 35 minute drive every day for mm -hmm. me kind of thing and then i have limits on all of my other social media i always turn them off though I know, I know it's, it's, well, again, it's like a, about developing that habit mm. where it's like, okay, the screen time thing works for a while, but then your brain realizes that, oh, I can just hit the notify me 15 more minutes, 15 yeah. more minutes, 15 more minutes. Right. And, um, it's at the point now where I just go, I'm good for today. Yeah. I'm good for today. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why yeah, do I yeah. even have these on anymore? For sure. Right. And it's, and it's tough because like, for me, I had to literally remove the app from my phone for a while mm. and only use it from my iPad, right? So now it's like, okay, my iPad only works off Wi-Fi. My iPad isn't with me all the time. And so that way, like, okay, I physically removed myself. So now I have to be very conscious about yeah. what I'm doing. 
And it's the same thing with uh, when it comes to, like, let's say nutritional habits, right? I, one of the big things that I think people should always do is eat at the kitchen table or eat at the dinner table, mm. like not eat in front of the TV. Because if you eat at the dinner table, okay, you got to set the plate, you got to get the fork, you got to get all these kind of things, right? You're being very cognizant of what you're doing. So now you're kind of in this mode of thinking more about like, okay, what do I want to eat? How much of it should I eat? Where if you're just grabbing a plate and sitting at the TV, you're not in that mode of being conscious. Yeah. And so you're just subconsciously eating whatever feels comfortable kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what I've noticed with, um, <clears throat> so I, I started it at the start of this year went good for three months, but off the rails for an actual business reason. I was removing Instagram. Cause you know, when we delete an app, we're like, oh, I'm done forever. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a breakup. Oh, I'm done. We're breaking up. And then three, we week, three weeks, yeah, three, and then three weeks later, you're like, start hanging out with a bit more. Now you're back dating again. You're like, yep. what just happened? It happens with everyone with social media. Um, with particularly like, I was like trying to limit, limit my usage of Instagram. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I wasn't using crazy, but it was like an average of an hour a day. Yeah. But I mean, that's sometimes like I'm on the toilet. Right. You know, like, you know yeah, you're doing what things, else am I gonna 100%. do? <laughs> but um, I got in the habit and I had three friends in, in it with me from the, like the first week of every month, we just delete it just a week. Mm. And then you put it back on your phone. So you're not saying like this all or nothing thing. It's just, all right. 25% of the time, just one week a month, taking the, the app off. The funny thing was, you notice a couple of things, like we're addicted to habits. That's the most addictive thing ever. If you've read the book, Irresistible. Oh, so good. I haven't read that. I will read it. Oh, it's so good. Um, it goes into the most addictive thing. People think like things like heroin, the most addictive thing. It's not, it's the habit. So that's why if you actually remove someone who has a heroin addiction and you actually change their entire environment in terms of they've moved state, moved whatever, and they're with family where they weren't before, their relapse rate drops like 13x. It's nuts. They did it during the Vietnam War. And um, what I would notice is when I would delete the app, you would, the second of boredom, because I knew where the app was, I'd be like, oh, it's not there. Yep. Huh. And I got we excited. Get that, that phantom buzz too sometimes yeah, that too. One. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think social media, I think iPhones are all super powerful tools, but I think there's a part of your life that needs to be real life. And the one mm. that I, I'm always cognizant of is in a, let's just say I'm alone and I'm waiting for, I don't know, a cup of coffee. I always just reach for my phone and just start flipping, scrolling, yeah. right? And I always think back like, okay, what did people do before there were phones, right? Well, they had conversations, they talked to people, they meted, they met people, right? Well, yeah. why not do that more? And so I'm always trying to do that more is when I'm alone and I'm not doing anything of not being on my phone. How do I engage with people around me, talk to people I'm around me? Because I think I could engage with people through social media. I just don't think the reward is a beneficial mm. long-term or short-term if you were to have a conversation with someone like in yeah. person. Yeah, that's for sure. The um, social media is a beast. It's weird. <clears throat> um, I've said this before, but <clears throat> the water's hitting me different. Um, Facebook has been, the, their biggest mistake was separating Facebook and Messenger into two different apps. Mm. Biggest mistake. Really? Well, I don't have Facebook on my phone, but I keep Messenger on it because it's just like a, it's like WhatsApp for me right. now. Whereas Instagram, <clears throat> The reason why I don't do that week, that first week now, is because I need to be posting every single day. Yep. And 
I need to, with reels, you can't schedule it. So those weeks have disappeared. My screen time hasn't really changed. It's, it always sits about 45 minutes, which I chew up in the first like hour of the day. Yep. <laughs> but um, the reason why before I was posting every single day um, and twice a day sometimes, I didn't um, delete Instagram because I needed the messenger because I message people still, you know, a lot, especially mm -hmm. being overseas. That's yep. how I keep in contact with everyone. And so and if Instagram ever separates it, I think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, for I sure. I think they learned that with Facebook. Yeah, it's funny that you say that first hour of your day is when you use all your social media. Like the first hour of my day is so important mm. for me of making not only like the key to success of, okay, I try my best not to be on social media. It's so hard. I'll wake up 5.30 in the morning. First thing, I'll just like grab my phone and just instantly get on there. And I have to like force myself out of it. I'll just turn it off. I'm in that habit away, again. Right? It's, so bad. it's bad. It is so bad. <laughs> but I mean, my day is made or make, make or break that first hour. If that's mm. at a productive first hour of the day, then the rest of my day is going to be amazing. Yeah. But if that falls apart and I feel rushed or I don't get what I need to get done, it's it's not a wash of a day, but it's really hard to get back on track. Mm. I'm honestly considering buying a second phone. Mm -hmm. So one is like, you can contact me. I'd probably just have maybe Facebook Messenger, but even that, yep. I get distracted. And then the other one's like my social media phone. Yep. But everything's the, so I pick it up, I post, I ghost. Um, I'm getting so close to doing that because yep. that one's almost full. Um, and I need a new phone. So I'm yep. like trying to figure out, do I do that? Well, I, I think it's, I think soon social media will become more business oriented mm. where like email, very business oriented. Mm. So I, you will only receive an email from me at either eight in the morning or 5 PM. Ah, you, you do that as well. Right. That's the, yeah. that's the only thing you, that's the only time because I'll, I'll answer, write emails all throughout my day as I can, mm -hmm. but I'll schedule send them at those two times. Oh, okay. And the reason why, well, so, so I, I, didn't, like, I didn't even check them. I check it twice a day. No. So I, I mean, I'm constantly checking. I mean, I work with kids, right? So parents mm. are calling out sick and dropping out and all this kind of stuff. Even via right? email? Oh yeah, via, via email. Really? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Huh. That's the most, so again, email is great for me. I would rather someone email than text me. Because gotcha. email, I can mark it as unread. I can yep. schedule send. I can classify it into a different folder. I can make sure that it's all super organized. If you mm. text me, if I open it and I'm like, crap, now I got to remember to go back <laughs> to you later kind of thing, right? Yeah. So with that my is emails, annoying to text. That right, is annoying. So, <laughs> so I mean like this morning, woke up five in the morning, went on my computer, read all my emails, and I answered probably 30 of them. But they're all scheduled send to send out at eight o'clock because mm. if I schedule send them at five in the morning I'm doing two things one I'm letting people know that I'm up at that time and you can contact me if you want to uh, okay right so now the doors open right or if I do it late at night yep doors open contact me whenever so when I schedule it at eight okay that's business hours they're like okay Thor's at eight that's when he's gonna answer it all that kind of stuff and the other thing I'm doing is I'm delaying the response time because let's say I want to be super productive I have to bump out a bunch of emails. I do it from five o'clock to six o'clock and I send them all right immediately. Well, by the time I hit six o'clock, two or three of them have already responded. Mm. Well, crap, now I gotta go back and respond to them, right? Well, if I schedule it to eight, now I've created this buffer where I've done everything I possibly can 
to answer all those emails. I'm done by six. Now I get two hours of my morning before they actually send mm. for me to get my workout in, for me to get my breakfast, for me to say hi to my wife, to do all these things, and then work starts again. Mm. So by scheduling it out at eight and then same thing at five, when I, if I'm answering emails and all that kind of stuff, people know like, okay, like it's sent out at five o'clock. They're like, oh, I got the response. But then at that point, the day's over. I don't get a lot of responses back or unless they email me late at night, but then I'm gonna read them anyways in the morning and I send it out at eight. So that was something that really helped me was scheduling that mm. out to send it kind of thing. That's that's really cool. Cause they're definitely, I've said to, cause I, I only check mine twice a day. Maybe, mm. maybe. I always tell people, I'm like, if something's urgent, I've never, e no one's ever emailed the hospital asking for an ambulance. Yep. You know? Yep, that's true. <laughs> um, and that's good because it is true and that's what it goes into in the book in uh, Irresistible is we're, we're built on this instantaneous lifestyle now with the invention of, of the phone and social media and emails. Um, but that again made people do more because th we thought, oh, I'm doing more, I'm going to be achieving more, mm -hmm. which wasn't, we're doing a lot of little things, but we're doing a lot less big things. Right. So that's, that's, that's actually a really cool idea. Yeah, and so I can't do that with social media and yeah. text messaging and stuff. So it's it's just much less professional. So I think eventually it'll become more professional where you might be able to mm. use those tactics kind of thing where you might be able to schedule send messages or you might be able to do that kind of thing, which would be great for me because right now it's just that's the most overwhelming part of my day is when I get text or text messages through Facebook, all that kind of stuff from a business standpoint. Yeah. Because then I have to make a note later, check it later, all that kind of stuff. But with, with email, it's super organized. That's that's a smart idea. I don't get, I get, don't get enough emails, so I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, but again, you're probably pushing people towards text and all that kind of stuff too. Because that's just what yeah. you're using more than anything. I think it's also because I get so much spam. Like, you know, you, I'm doing the, like, the systematic unsubscribing to yes, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and the good thing too is like... Uh, I do look at some emails and I do leave them un unread, but um, then it takes me like three days to write back. Yep. Because I'm just not used to that. Yeah. I guess I, and that's why I'm in social media and I do that stuff because I'm just like, I'm so used to responding in text. How old are you again? 25. So you're way younger than me. So I don't know why. There's no disconnect there. <laughs> <laughs> For me, uh, it was it was like, I mean, I, I, I contemplated about the second phone thing too, mm. but it's just... If I can push everyone to email, I'm fine. Yeah. It's the random text messages and calls and all that kind of stuff that kills me and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, if I can push everyone to email, I can keep that organized. I can structure it. It's professional. Um, but, I mean, I do understand the importance. I mean, I'm, but I'm quick with that stuff, too. I mean, I'm always like, hey, listen, I have my phone on me at all times. Email me. Text me. Do those kind of things. I'll respond right away. But it's up to me to make sure I keep it organized. Mm. Yeah, okay. So with your social media, with your TikTok, is TikTok golf, well, is the golf industry stronger on TikTok than Instagram? Or is it kind of the same? I would say it's stronger. And mm -hmm. the only reason is because the way the algorithm works. Because mm -hmm. the algorithm will continue to feed you what you like, right? So as soon as I like one golf page, I'll get three more golf pages, boom, 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 right in a row with yeah. my For You page, right? Just because I like or I follow someone on Instagram who's golf related doesn't mean I'm going to get more golf content right mm. away because TikTok 
their algorithm is just scroll, 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 scroll. Where Instagram wants you to hang out, wants you to look at the marketplace, wants you to maybe buy something. So they're not going to feed you instantaneous mm. back to back to back. Reels does. Reels does. Yeah, Reels does. But Reels is different too because Reels is so much harder for a non-experienced person to create meaningful content mm. can create compare it to TikTok. Where TikTok, it's like, oh, this sound is fun. Oh, this is a fun yeah. effect, all this kind of stuff. It's easy. I can do it right there. With Reels, I'm like, crap, I got to edit it. And then I got to find the sound. And all the mm. sounds aren't really, you can't search a sound. And you, it doesn't sync up like TikTok does. And so it's just so less user-friendly mm. that it's hard for someone like me that I'm not creating professional content constantly to make fun content for people. Yeah. So I'm just not big. However, um, I do post on Reels the same video I would on TikTok because yeah. I understand there's a lot of views to it. Yeah. Right. And it is more business oriented through Instagram because it's related to Facebook and all those kind of things. And so I do understand the importance of doing it, but I like the convenience that TikTok offers. Yeah, gotcha. Because Reels can be quite useful because I know my algorithm seems to switch real quick. So I'm getting like, at the moment, my feed is, I mean, they do the occasional shitty thing that's trending right now. Like the, I like to jiggle, jiggle. Yes, wiggle, wiggle, right, right, right. That's going yep. around. But I get now, I mean, it was. It used to be, I swear Instagram tries, tries to ruin relationships. Like, oh, you're a guy, here's boobs, here's yep. bum. I'm like, I'm not even following yeah. this person. Yeah, yeah. But I think I've kind of now overdone, like, and ruled that out now. So my Reels feed is uh, Office, like The Office, yep. uh, Family Guy, and for some reason, Cars. I have no idea why, because hmm. I'm not even into Cars. Yeah, but interesting. I One, grab my attention, and I keep scrolling them. So Reels is really good for capturing people's attention. Um Similar to TikTok, but you're right, it does request, it's a little different. It's different. So, okay, you're talking about capturing people's attention. So mm -hmm. I have a video on Reels that has 200,000 views or 300,000 views, right? And it's got some likes, but it's got like four comments. Mm. Now I got another one on TikTok that has 20,000 views, 5,000 likes, and 80 comments. Mm. But comments come way easier on TikTok than they do Reels. Really? Now, are you? Actually, do, no, you use, do, do you use TikTok? Or? Yeah, I've had a few videos hit. Like, I've had my top three is ten and a half million, four and a half million, and three million. Yeah, but that one was curated, semi, like it was. It was, but they they were shitty content, like shitty quality. Yep. The second it was good quality, right? You know, um, but. I think it's because people on TikTok want to feel like they're seeing something behind the scenes. Yeah. And well, also like my, my wife said this to me too, is like, she'll send me a whole bunch of stuff through TikTok and I'll be like, it wasn't really that funny. Like, <laughs> like, like, why did you send this to me? She's like, oh, did you not read the comment? And you'll go back and you'll see that the comment, the top comment has more likes than the actual video does. Uh. So it's a super cringy <laughs> video or whatever. And the top comment is mm. people making fun of them or whatever. And so it's not only, cause you're never like, oh my God, look at this reel. This comment is so funny, right? They, yeah. they hide the comments almost. It's like tucked in the corner. Mm. But lots of times like, like with um, 
you can stitch on TikTok, yes. right? So here's a video and you stitch it. And what's the first thing that happens when you click on the, the original video is the comments pop back up, mm. right? So now it's, see, I see it as almost like TikTok is, is more like, like a, a Reddit thread yeah, in their okay. comment than it is in, in reels. You don't get that. Right. Yeah. And so for me, who's trying to start conversations and all those kind of things, like I get the reels from a business stance because it's more professional and all that kind of things. But like, that's why I think it's stronger on TikTok because you get so much more engagement that mm. way. I wonder with yours, because your target market is the parents, obviously not, yep. the, not the six-year-olds <laughs> yep. that are going to pay the bills. But um, I wonder if, Instagram and even Facebook, because Facebook is like even older. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about if it'd be right for the parents, but you never know. The grandparents could see it, then they talk to the parents. But yeah. Like you need to check this place out. Yep. Um, that might be it. The numbers won't be as big, but I th I wonder if the quality of the target market will be better. For sure. Because. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, that's a big thing in like, okay. That's why there's less comments as well on um, Instagram. People in their 40s or 30s, 40s, way less likely to comment. Yep. People in their early 20s, yeah. they, they care a little bit more or they also want to hurt people's feelings a bit more. Yeah. Like the TikTok comment, like I'm going to see because you've intrigued me now about what the most like, how many likes in the top comment on our video is. Because um, yeah, they hate, but I lean into the hate sometimes mm -hmm. where I'm just like, oh, this is someone who's angry at life. Let's lean into it. Uh, okay, top comment has 15,000 likes, but the video has 364,000 likes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of likes for a comment. I mean, you would, not, you would, you would not see that. I don't think you would see that on Instagram. No, no. And that is true because you, there has been a big shift. So, for example, when I posted on TikTok, would have been early, 20, early 2019 or late 2018, one video got a million views. That got me 8,000 followers. In the last year, it seems like the engagement's gone up, but the following conversions dropping a bit, particularly with TikTok. Because I don't follow anyone on TikTok. Yeah, the followers don't mean anything yep. on TikTok. Um, yep. So you can see, so it looks good, and people are like, wow, they have like a hundred thousand followers, but unless the content's good, the content's what leads TikTok. Yeah. Because I've had in the last year probably twenty maybe 20 million views on my channel. I think I've got 8,000 new followers. Right. It's, it's Well, so I mean, the, the other part is, so my wife had a, a video that went viral, mm. right? So it was a, a situation on our honeymoon where she accidentally posted a photo that she was like naked in. Mm. And she made a super funny video about it. And that just blew up. Mm -hmm. And um, so that that video got, like a million likes or something like that, right? Like a ton of likes and a ton of views. And she got 20,000 followers in 24 hours. Yeah, nice. Right? Ridiculous. And then and then she continued to post and all that kind of stuff. But the followers didn't converge into views, right? Mm -hmm. Every post afterwards, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, yeah. oh, 10,000. But it wasn't like, oh, I got 20,000 followers. I'm going to instantly get 
20,000 views. Yeah. They don't even push it to all your followers. No. They push it to like, I think it's something like 15 to 20 people only. Yeah. And then they test it with them. But it's like, that's the tricky thing is, well, shit, if those 20 people didn't like that particular one out of my 50,000 followers, what about the other, right. you know, 49,980 people? Totally. You know? Yeah, totally. So it's it's interesting because at the same time, like, I get the value of social media, but you could go down the rabbit hole so hard of like what's right, what's wrong and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And for most people who are on like a surface level business, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole that hard. Yeah, You just gotta be consistent and you gotta know what your brand is and then continue to post your brand and be consistent and it'll, it'll just come. You gotta be genuine, you gotta be consistent and you gotta own who you are. Those yeah. are the key things for, surface level business owners and all those kind of things. Mm. It's important too. So the two that um, you want to question. So have you heard of like, don't give them four, give them two plus two? Um, no, I haven't heard of that. So the art with storytelling is you want to, people want to work for their meal. So if you give them two plus two, then they can figure out that it's four. Yep. We enjoy that a lot more versus just giving them for the sure. four. And most YouTube videos, to get people to stay, they started doing his four. Like, in this video, I'm going to do this and this and this and this yes, and this. Yes. Versus, and that still kind of works, but I've noticed with TikTok, like the two that went crazy viral, the first one was an Instagram story mm -hmm. that I was like, meh, turn that into like, it's, I'm sitting in my chair and my wife's in the pool, pregnant, just staring. And she did it one, I go, you good, babe? Or like, how are you, my love? I said, are you good, babe? And then she just looks at me and she's like, I'm holding her. And I lose it. I'm like, do that again. <laughs> Get out of the story. <laughs> and instead of saying, you good, mate, I was like, how are you, my love? And so it was like this awkward thing. And then the text was like, what is she doing? So like yeah. that intrigue to make you lean in, like, what yeah. is she doing? And then as soon as you got the gag, it was like video over yeah. so that it was yeah, boom, yeah. retention. That one went nuts, 10 million views. And I was like, okay, let's test that again did the exact same thing to a degree in terms of the beats of the yeah. video. And I said to her, I'm like, lie in the pool. And then I'm going to say, how are you, my love again? And then say you're a human submarine, jump back on your back. So your belly is floating. Four and a half million views, I right. think. Yep. You know? Well, that's the other thing is you'll see one influencer on TikTok will post something and then post the same thing five times in a row. Mm. And then we'll delete the ones that don't hit. Ah. Right? So it's the same joke five times in a row. Delete the one that doesn't or delete them all. The one that does hit, they keep mm. kind of thing. I'll see that a ton, right? Really? So if you, catch, if you catch that early with a bunch of the be those influencers, you can go to their page and you'll see that they'll have a whole bunch of them. Check it 24 oh, hours later. The exact later. same video. Yeah. And it, well, it's the same idea, right? Just, like just how you said it was the same beat, same mm. joke, different contacts, right? So it'd be you doing this as like, okay, jump back and say you're a submarine or jump back and say you're a humpback whale or something like that, right? It's the same joke, same beat over and over and over again. And then 24 hours later, they delete the ones that don't hit. Ah, sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. we've seen some guys grow their channels to like 5 million subscribers or followers on TikTok in like a year. And it really is like they, these guys in particular, like they are produced real well. But they were just like, all right, fine tune it, fine tune it. And all right, that model works. And then you scroll through and it's the same video. Yep. I've always wondered though, is that really, 
some of them sort of use that to then pull people to their YouTube because uh, that's where you get your real people who will buy because they'll stop and like watch yep. versus you just want a quick dopamine hit and onto the next video. Yep. Um, do you have a YouTube channel? I don't. I don't, but I'm going to have one soon. Yeah. I'm going to have one soon. Because that would be a... If someone can invest a few seconds in you, get them to invest a few minutes into you, and then, you know, once they've... I've, they've found that there's the new thing with um, YouTube is kind of rewarding videos about five minutes or less. Okay. Uh, because it wants... Again, it's, it's looking for attention, but you what will happen is when people are using... They'll watch one video that's four or five minutes. They've got what they want, but they're still a little bit hungry versus if they watch a 10 to 15 minute video, they'll watch all of it. And but then they're like, all right, that's enough. I'll, yeah. get off, I'll get off YouTube versus four or five minutes. Do, David Dobrik's the, he's one of the first person who kind of figured that out. Mm-hmm. And that's why his, view, his views are like crazy high, 10 million for some of them is because I go, I got my wife way back. I'm like, these I can watch this video twice. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, even though it's got 10 million views, I wonder if it's just that how many people have watched it two, three, four times right. because it's so funny. Yep. It's over. I can watch that again or watch another David Or Dover. show it to someone else yeah. on my phone, right? Like you just sat there, watched it. Oh, come here, watch it again. Yeah. Right, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, so I am starting a YouTube soon. And the way I've always looked at social media is like I basically whatever my profit margin is for my business, I can spend 10% of that mm-hmm. on marketing. And uh, so now with the Junior Academy, we're getting to a point where I can spend more on marketing. So we have a regular guy come out, take nice high quality photos, do some videos every now and then. Um, we also have been able to hire an intern to do our marketing and all that kind mm. of stuff. But so my next venture is I'm opening up a CrossFit and golf performance gym um, in Fort Myers. And uh, I'm going to have a golf studio. And the studio is going to be amazing. I mean, just top-notch, high-quality, best technology. And I've built it to be a great content-creating studio. Mm. So now I don't only have, like right now I film for myself just like on a tripod with my iPhone, which is great. But now I'm going to have professional lighting and I'm a professional soundboard. I'm going to have a computer that I can upload and edit like right away. Ah, cool. And I'm partnering with another company called um, Golf Fitness X and they're owned by this company called Orange Whip. Mm -hmm. And they have a virtual online golf fitness training platform that they get 25,000 views a week out of it, right? So they've been working out of this guy's uh, garage for the last two years and they've grown it to this strong community, 25,000 views per week of people watching golf fitness and all this kind of stuff. So we're partnering up together and he's going to be utilizing that as like a space to create a lot of that great content. Yeah. And then the gym itself is going to be the facility that when people are interested in seeing it in person, they can now come to a facility and see it in person. Mm. So I'm really excited because I think that again, like, I only have so much that I can put into my marketing because I have to make money myself. Yeah. <laughs> but when you partner up with people like that, now we're benefiting each other because I got the brick and mortar facility and he's doing the online thing and we're helping each other out and we're going to both grow our own brands through it too. So yeah. it's, it's going to be awesome. That's sick. Yeah. The videos, I've, I've seen you building that place. Uh, how, when will that be completed? 
we're hoping August. August is going to mm-hmm. be our grand opening. So we've uh, been very patient with permits, and it's a new build, so it's going to be pristine, brand new equipment, flooring, all that kind of stuff. But August is when we're going to be opening. Yeah, awesome. That look, that place looks cool. Yeah, I saw. Um, I don't know if I shared this one, but I was like, I, they had a trick shot. Dude, perfect did one. Yep. Um, where he who whacks it and then it bounces off the actual screen and starts going down and goes elsewhere. I was like. They need to do trick shots. Trick well. shots for sure, right? <laughs> oh yeah, trick shots for sure. Lots of great content can be coming out of there. Yeah, because trick shots. I don't know why they're so satisfying. Well, but, they just are. They're they awesome. Are. I wonder. Like, I'm. I'm glad now that people are starting to post about how many tries it took. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because then you're like, like I see something like yeah, this is 103 tries. I'm like, oh. Well, so there's this guy who, again, like the power of golf TikTok. There's this guy named Snappy Gilmore. Okay, and it's <laughs> this guy who just hits the golf ball one-handed. Oh, I've seen that dude. He like clears it out of the. Oh yeah, he crushes <sighs> it. Don't get me wrong, he crushes it. But yeah, that's all he does is one-handed golf swings, and it's the same thing mm. over and over. And he's got a great personality, he hypes it up, and all this kind of thing. But it's the same thing over and over. Yeah, and he's blown up. And I was at a PGA Tour event in. Um, Arizona a few months ago and he was flown out there by PGA tour to hit golf shots out there one-handed and I'm like <laughs> what that like this guy you're flying him out to hit golf shots and yeah. he's just hitting one-handed go- I mean it's a good it's a freak show it's a it's, it's crazy I mean it's super impressive right but at the same time I mean I don't even know how far he's hitting it either Mm. It looks super impressive, but it's also a dimly lit range where the golf ball slowly goes off. Yeah. So I would love to see like the numbers that come out of it and all that kind of stuff. But it's a great video. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just crazy that now he's blown up and he goes to PGA Tour events and does these trick shot kind of things. And yeah. So you need that one thing. That one thing, right? You need that one thing, right? So I don't so, know what my one thing is yet. But. So he ends up basically monetizing his, he's monetized his life by just one thing. Can you hit one-handed? Yeah. How far? I Far. Yeah, I can hit it far. Okay, we have to do that next time. Yeah, we can do that next time. I also can hit right and left-handed. Really? So, so like I, backhand and forehand? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I taught myself. So I was working in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin at a golf school. And I was teaching – I'm a left-handed golfer, but I was teaching so many people who are right-handed mm. that I wanted to learn how to hit right-handed so I can demo shots. And, um, and it was also great because it put me back in the shoes – of being a new golfer. Yeah. Right. So back to like, you want people or coaches who practice what they preach. Right. So, well, now I get to test all the things that I'm telling these people to do on myself with the opposite hand that I am. Mm. And then I'm also really big with golf too, is like, yes, having a perfect swing is important, but it's more important to play good golf because the objective is to get you out on the golf course, playing good golf, competitive, all that kind of stuff. So I even, didn't work on my swing the way that a normal golf instructor would probably teach you the golf swing, which is position by position by position. I had a driver, a seven iron and a putter, and I would go out to the golf course and I would just figure it out. Mm. Right? Like, yes, I'd still work on my game and practice and all that kind of stuff, but it was more about me going on the golf course and figuring it out so I could play. Cause now I could play golf right and left handed. It's not just that I can swing right and left handed. I can play golf really well, right and left handed. Um, and, uh, and so again, it just puts the emphasis back on, Hey, I, 
you need to be playing golf. You need to be on the golf course. Like that's what golf is all about. Not about perfecting your swing. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And what's, uh, golf is just so fascinating to me that I don't even know where to start. Actually, let's go into, you, you were mentioning to me the other day when we had my little show and tell and improving. I'm still like, I'll rave about how quickly you improve me. Cause it's like, I just went back home to stay. So I'm like, holy fuck. Like now I get why people have coaches. Yep. <laughs> Cause yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, maybe I'm not good enough to be the raging golfer. You know, that rager where like they get a little bit off and they're like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a client back home. He was like that the nicest, softest, politest gentleman. But he's just like, something about when he played golf. Just loses it. Dude, he was like Johnny Drama from Entourage. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, where'd that come from? Yeah. Well, it's amazing (laughs) how that can bring that out in people, right? Mm. Like, it's the same way. Like, I mean, I know very kind of quiet, low-maintenance people who, when you get on the golf course, I mean, that's that's all they want to do is destroy you. Right, like just just flip of a switch kind of thing, and you see that in lots of different sports too. Yeah. Golf is just so different, where that like anger doesn't necessarily benefit you, mm. because golf is a marathon and not a sprint. Where you you just don't you just can't hit two bad golf shots in a row. That's when everything starts going downhill. Mm-hmm. You can hit one bad golf shot, that's totally fine, and then you got to recover from it. But it's as soon as you get that triage of one bad shot and then another bad shot and then another bad shot, which is normally caused by you not controlling your emotions, is when your golf game goes downhill. So the people who are very, like, angry um, and uh, snap quickly when they're not playing well are normally not the best golfers, Mm -hmm. right? And even Tiger Woods had that mentality of, like, destroying everyone in golf. But he wasn't, you didn't see him have these big outbursts when he hit a bad shot, right? It was almost like you couldn't even tell kind of thing. You could tell when he hit a good shot. Like he was just <laughs> like, you could see him walk in and his little swagger and all this kind of stuff. But when he hit a bad shot, he was just like, okay, like I, I got to go fix this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tiger. That one thing I heard once was about Tiger Woods, which was insane. He was already at the top and he had to relearn his entire, basically he stripped back everything he knew and then to get like 2% better, relearn from the ground up and spent like two years to Im- improve just that little bit extra. Yeah. Which is insane. Like yeah, you're well, already winning. Yeah, you're already winning, but you're always, it's that chase to be better, right? Mm. And I think he was just obsessed with being better. Mm. And that he was the, really the first person, I mean, he changed the game of golf from how people get paid to how sponsorships to what you're capable of physically as well. I mean, he was very big into golf fitness. Like I wouldn't, Golf fitness would not be a thing if it, or as big as it was today, if it wasn't for him. So he was out there exploring what is it like to actually train to be better at golf, where most of everyone else was just like, oh, it's, I don't know, you just go out there and I hit it and it's impressive. Like they got the John Daly mentality, <laughs> right? Who were just, I mean, like that guy is an athlete. Don't get me wrong. Like you watch his golf swing, you're like, okay, he's very athletic, but is he physically fit? No. And loves a beer. Right, loves a beer, loves a beer, <laughs> and loves a cigarette. And um, But Tiger Woods saw, again, the talent versus the hard work, right? He always said he was never the most talented person, but he worked harder than everyone else. Yeah. And so that was just a continuation of his, I mean, you could just say his lack of talent. He had to continue to work hard 
and re- strip everything he knows and all this kind of stuff because he doesn't have enough talent to stay the same course forever and ever and ever. Yeah, yeah. He's still not the best in the world, though. Have you heard the latest news? Well, I I know that he's not the best. Kim Jong Un is the best. Oh yeah, well dude, yeah. He did a thirty eight under his, yes, first, his time first time ever, like three hole in ones too. Yeah, something like that. I, I think he had the world's largest uh, drive, mm-hmm. um, and it hasn't been documented. I mean, it's crazy to think how much he might have improved in the last seven years. No one knows. No one knows. No, uh-huh. thirty eight under. What's the world record for the most under? Um. Besides Kim Jong Un, because he's just yeah, just ridiculous. He's, he's ridiculous. So I believe there's been a couple 58s. Um, so not 58 under, but 58 total score. So and normally a total score is like 72, par mm-hmm. 72. So you're looking at um, 10, 12, 14 under kind of thing. Wow, which is yeah, very impressive. So Kim Jong Un was incredible. <laughs> yes, yeah, he truly was incredible. Very unfortunate he couldn't make it on the PGA tour, but. He, he also, didn't like the spotlight. He invented the burrito. The dudes are just amazing. <laughs> um, so with, uh, what's your plans like with, because you mentioned to me a little bit, but you've got very big goals for the next five years. I really liked that you're bringing, you want to make Naples young again, in a way. Um, what is it? My wife called, she should just call a group, like make Naples young again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think it's necessarily make Naples young. I think it's I think it's utilizing the resources and the opportunity we have here. Because mm. if it's make Naples young, right? Well, now we're pushing out massive opportunity from this area from the people who have all the money and all the influence. Mm. Right? I mean, that's just a matter of fact that you have I can't tell you how many Fortune 500 retired people live in this area. Right. And they are knowledgeable and they have money and resources and they appreciate a good business model. They appreciate a good plan. They're looking for something to do. They're dying of boredom out there. Mm. Right. I mean, I've seen it over and over. I mean, people retire, move to Naples, golf and drink and die. Like that's what they do. They need something to go and push them farther. And what you can do with the younger generation is rejuvenate the area with these new business and concepts that these people are happy to support. I mean, they really are. They they love when I talk about, like, when I, I worked at the country club for two years, and I was a personal trainer and a golf instructor, and I told them about my big plans of I want to open, like, the Junior Golf Academy small, and I want two or three more locations, and I want to open up my own gym. And this guy's like, well, if you ever need a check, you just let me know. I'll just write one for you. Right? And, and he's retired, and he's got a ton of money and a ton of time, and he loves this concept of just making this place better, right? Mm. So it's not pushing them out. It's just bringing that, those great ideas in mm. and then making them aware that they are great ideas. Because, um, yeah, because they, they could be massive resources. Yeah. And because that's one thing I know I think we spoke about, like, it's been a topic of all day, actually, with everyone else I've been speaking to, is finding places for younger people to come in and use the resources because it's it's a big drive from like you know Fort Myers, Tampa, mm-hmm. Naples is still a big drive for a lot of people. Yeah, um, is there like do you have a goal of how many people you want to be? Tr- training in the short term or is there like just you know what how it goes how it goes so let's talk about the junior academy first the junior academy i think can operate 
extremely well with 100 to 120 kids per location. Mm -hmm. And I can have a location every 10 miles from Marco to Cape Coral. Okay. So I think there's enough kids to make that happen. I think Mm -hmm. there's enough golf courses, and I think there's enough money. And and so that's kind of where I'm at right there. If it's me running every single one of those junior golf programs every 10 miles, great. That's awesome. But it also doesn't have to be me because I want this area to succeed. So I, I mean, I work with a lot of professionals in the area to help them start meaningful uh, junior golf programs, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't, and, and the more junior golf programs there are, the more opportunity there's going to be, the more money there's going to be, the more draw there's going to be, right? So it doesn't have to be me on every single stop of the way. Like we just all got to get on the same page because it will pay off dividends if we can get these junior golfers up and running right now, yeah, right? 10, 15 years from now, right? From the fitness standpoint of the gym I'm opening, um, it's a business model basically based off of 150 members. Mm-hmm. Um, most of your boutique fitnesses, if you look at like an Orange Theory or an F45, are based off of around 350 to 400 members. So they're more about just turning people in and out. And mine is a much more intimate um, membership base that you would experience similarly at a country club, mm. right? So we're basically bringing the country club to CrossFit where this is a place where you can work out, you can get your golf game. We have a physical therapist. We have our recovery room. We have meal plan options, right? Like this is a club that you will join for the rest of your life. And so it's a business model that I'm testing because I think it will do really well in this area, but I also think it can expand and grow from there too and franchise yeah. out that direction. But um, so yeah, that with the junior Academy, I think there's a lot of potential, but it it's just, we all got to get on the same page because there's a mm. lot of barriers to entry, especially in this area. Yeah. Right. And like I said, like those people would write me a check because they're like, Oh, I believe in you. That's awesome. But I didn't, the only reason I got in front of those people was because I got through the gates and I got to work there and then I got to know them. Right? Yeah. Where, it's hard to get through those gates. It's hard to get to know these people. And so I think creating more opportunity for people to get to know each other and break down those gates, whether it be, I mean, I think Quail Creek did a great job where they ran a junior membership rate. And so a bunch of young families could come in and now these young families are meeting all of these retired people with money who are super successful. And now they've doubled and tenfolded their businesses because they now have all these other resources that they have yeah and so i think there's opportunities but you got to give them a reason to come out of the country club and it's mm. really hard to do that right now <laughs> yeah because you were saying especially the people living in like quail creek they don't even have to leave that area that's no, like a city no. in itself i mean you could even do delivery from the club wow like if you don't want to leave your house they'll they'll deliver yeah, and just okay. do pick up and leave kind of thing because those houses are incredible oh gorgeous i couldn't personally live on the golf course though i'd be too worried about you know someone like me <laughs> that, that was only one that's one thing i've always been like fascinated by is people living on like, i get it you're super close you yeah. get to enjoy um you get to basically walk out to your backyard and go play play golf yeah or i mean you get that i mean every one of those properties has an acre of land too which really? is really hard to find Jeez. in this area right so that's a lot plus um you also don't have to be a golf member there. You can just live. It's beautiful, right? Mm. And then your HOAs, I mean, people care about the way it looks significantly more 
if you're on a golf course than if you're not on a golf course, right? Mm-hmm. So if you live in a community without a golf course, you can't be guaranteed that you're going to have the best lawn care and the best maintenance and all that kind of stuff. But at Quail Creek, yeah, the, everything's got to look pristine, Yeah. right? So now you get up that that's part of your HOAs and all that kind of stuff. Now, you could join as a golf member or you could just be a social member. So now you could just use the pool and the spa and all that stuff and not the golf course. And it's a less membership because you're not a golf member. Ah, so, there's all, so it really is just like the um, – it's a fascinating system because the way that it also is built was um, – I mean, you went into the membership thing. Usually golf clubs, you buy a membership. Wham, bam, thank you, bam, mm-hmm. yearly subscription, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. You, you get out, nothing. Um, you, what you were saying with the, it's like the whole country club is owned by the members. Yep. There's no, you know, person owning it, which is kind of funny because it's very similar, I guess, decentralization with crypto. Right. <laughs> Where it's like everyone owns, a, you know, everyone contributes. And if you want out, you just sell your membership yep. at an appreciated price which yep. is crazy to think that it's a it's an investment but you're buying what you love doing anyway for sure yeah it's it's really yeah it's very different but there are golf clubs in this area that are privately owned so one is uh old cork Ork, old corkscrew and old collier just got bought by the hoffman family mm-hmm. which owns a ton of things here in naples um so now they own those properties, right? And so now you have members who are paying dues, paying monthly subscriptions, but have no say in the club. Yeah. Right? There's positives and negatives to that. We, I mean, in the industry, you you talk about the people who make the decisions are the board members, and the board members get voted in from the other members. And normally the board members are pips or previously important people. Mm. And so they have, <laughs> they, they were big, super successful, extremely wealthy people who had um, very, very, very important jobs. And now all this free time and all they do is worry about the golf club. Right. And so there's positive and negative to that. They, they come with lots of resources and knowledge and know-how, but at the same time, like if you're trying to run a business and you got these people in here who want it a certain way and they're not going to allow you to run the business the right way, well then mm. that gets really tough from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, it, other examples would be like our memberships have gone up. Mm-hmm. Right. But people on the board have always had a two o'clock or sorry, a Tuesday, 8 a.m. tea time for their nine buddies. Mm. Right. But now we got 200 more members who also want dibs on those tea times. So it's not fair that you get to reserve yours. Well, that's too bad. It's mine. I'm a board member. It's mine. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to let you change the tea system to get more people out to play to mm. ruin my experience. Right. And so. But now these 200 people who just joined can't get a tea time. So now they're going to leave the club and you're going to lose money. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's tough because in one sense, you get all the resources and knowledge that these people, extremely wealthy, extremely knowledgeable people and smart people have. But at the same time, you don't get the business sense of what's best for the club. Mm. So what do you like with um, members that as Quail Creek grows – how and this is coming from a completely ignorant person who's never played golf properly in his life (laughs) um with teeing off do you book it do you um is it like a obviously it's not just rock up and start playing which is there's some clubs like that so that's the ones um, i've only ever played at yeah so at quail creek you um 
you have a, a, a tea booking system that opens up seven days in advance. You submit your request for a tea time three days before you get approved. Mm-hmm. And that's how most clubs in the area work. Now, there are some clubs that are the more elite ones that people just want to walk up and play. They don't want to have to book a tea time and worry about any of that kind of stuff. So they pay a higher rate so the club has less members so they can just walk up and just mm. do it kind of thing. Um, but your public courses and stuff like that probably work in the same way, but you can book it further in advance. So rather than just seven days in advance, you can book it a month, two months, three months in advance. Mm, okay. Yeah. The um, the rule I have to, I think I've spoke about this, the one rule I just can't get behind with golf is you can't overtake. <laughs> it's the one rule. You know how you did like, if say for example, maybe it's because I played at a public golf course mm-hmm. so it wasn't spread out as much. Right. I had a buggy. Yep. I was hitting further than the people that were playing, which is fine. Yeah. You know? But then I only found out like probably the fifth time I'd ever played that you're not allowed to just overtake people. Mm. Um, so you can't just pass them. Yeah. You can't just pass. Is that a rule or is that well, what so, is that so let's say let's say you are the fir- you're in your group and yeah. you get to the tee box and you realize it's a par three, so that the green's right there. So the you hopefully get on in one shot. Mm-hmm. You realize the group is still going, right? So you're sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting and all this kind of stuff, and they finally leave and you play your hole. Well, you get to the next tee box, and now they just finished teeing off, and you just got there, and you look ahead of them, and there's no one in front of them, and there's no one in front of them, and there's no one, like, there's just no one in front of them. Yeah. At that point, they are supposed to move to the side and allow you to play through. Oh. That's golf etiquette. I've never experienced that. Yeah, right? Or that's why they also have rangers, people who drive around the golf course managing pace of play, mm-hmm. who will then tell that group, hey, here's your first warning. You have to pick up the pace of play. And if they come back again, we'll make you skip a hole. Gotcha. Just, hey, skip a hole. You're playing too slow. Now, what happens a lot of times, though, is it's not that group's fault. It's the group in front of them and the group in front of them. And mm. the group, you just get this backup, right? And so that's why you can't just pass somebody because – Let's just say you're on that par three. You realize they're on the green. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to pass them. I'm going to play the next hole. You pass them. You get to the next hole, and you realize, oh, there's another group on that one. And then there's another group on that one. So you can't just pass people. But yeah. if you realize that you're playing slow and there's a group behind you playing faster, you're supposed to move to the side mm-hmm. and allow you. It's called playing through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that I understand. If someone was better than me, I'd be like, dude, I don't want to waste your day. Whereas every single place I've seen to play, and I, they're public courses, um, which I, I feel like it should be more relaxed, but sometimes they're not. But I know I've, like, again, I always get the buggy. I'm not the walking type. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I can enjoy it. It's, I guess it depends who I'm with, but we've always enjoyed just going, playing, and then, you know, smashing through it. But we used to have, get stuck behind people. They'd tee off, and then they'd deliberately walk down the middle of the fairway so yeah. that we wouldn't do it. So we, we wouldn't just, whack, like, tee off. And... It would be so frustrating for us. And then, I mean, I've been told off so many times at golf courses. Really? Because of that reason where hmm. I'm just like, hey, can we just go overtake? They're like, no, you're not allowed to. I'm like, oh. But also I, I went into a uh, tournament by accident once. We didn't know. The people at the, um, the the front desk didn't tell us. We bought tickets or whatever it is. We bought you know, yeah. nine holes. And they're like, yeah, cool. Didn't tell us anything. All of a sudden we just zipping around like idiots like i mean we're mid-20s at that point just yeah. like and it, that's where i learned that you can't overtake because i overtook like three different people right like, right because <laughs> that was so slow yeah 
And then, yeah, we, we got told to go ahead four holes because we were that much faster than everyone else. And they're like, you're not meant to be playing yet. You're, you, you're not allowed to be on the, the course for another two hours. I'm mm-hmm. like, so why'd you take my money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just, I definitely think golf in general can do better from a introduction to the game type of mm. thing, right? And I'm, I mean, it's just creating the proper segues and all that kind of thing to make sure that um, that you can enjoy it, right? I mean, mm. I, th- I think there's a lot of people. I, I have a client, and we've been working together for a long time, and he he's retired or working on his retirement, um, and he sees golf as something he's never played before in his life, but what's he wants to do with the rest of his life. And so um, for the last two years, we've been working together. And, um, and I mean, he's a, he's a really good golfer now. Mm-hmm. And he can see that there was just so many barriers to entry um, that, I mean, it took two years for him to get to a point now that he see, feels very comfortable and is scoring well and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, so I mean, it's, it's definitely there. We as golf can do a lot better to – be more welcoming as well as just more create more education opportunities on what's the proper ways. And then also understanding like, okay, when is it, when is there a rule or a, uh, a custom in our game that, that really isn't necessary. Mm. Right. I mean, like one thing is, um, pace of play is a big one, which is the, the pace in which you finish your round of golf. Mm. I think realistically 10 minutes to 12 minutes a whole, is a good pace of play for a group of four people. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very good pace of play. Is that walking or buggy? I mean, but both, honestly. I th- I actually can play faster walking than I can with a buggy. Really? Because with the buggy, uh, uh, yes, you get from point A to B a lot faster, but you got two people in it. So now you got to go your point A to B, and then you also got to go his point uh, A to B. Okay. Where if we have our own carts or our own situation, our bags, walking, whatever, we just go there, hit, go to our next one, hit kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. The other one is um, is understanding, okay, the time it takes you to hit an actual golf ball, right? From you have your club in your hand to actually hitting it takes most amateur golfers about 30 seconds, right? So it's not, it's not the actual hitting that takes forever. It's everything else you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's the finding the club and oh, where's the tee? You know, that's right. I got to get my golf ball and oh my God, I forgot the wrong club. Right. <laughs> or my cart's way back there. I got to go get my cart back over there or not knowing when it's your turn. Right. So it's those things that I teach kids mm-hmm. and even adults, like it's little things, right? Like if you're coming to a green and let's just say you have your buggy, you're coming to a green and most people stop right as soon as they get to the green with their buggy and then walk out to the hole and then walk back. Mm-hmm. A much more efficient way is to actually drive around the green to the far end of it where you would be leaving, ah. then walk to the hole, then walk back to your cart and leave that direction, right? So it's just little things like that that people don't realize will mm. save just little, little bits. bits of time. Efficiency. Right? Efficiency. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not, I mean, again, you grab, you have the right club, there's the golf ball, it takes you 30 seconds to take practice swings and hit it. It's everything else that takes a lot of time. Yeah. That's good. That, that's, I'm, I'm glad you think that way because I'm the, I'm the same with them. If you can take out one minute 10 times, that's mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Yeah. But people don't. People don't think that way for sure. It's um, they think about what's in front of their nose instead of what's yeah. four or five steps ahead. Yeah, and we so we created our own um, in-house junior golf tour for our kids as well, and it, it, we're introducing the game of golf in a way that helps them 
understand the game and create a good pace of play. So what we do is we have six kids tee off at once and they're on two teams. So it's a team of three and a team of three and they're playing what's called a scramble. So they all hit and then you go to the best golf ball, Yeah. right? So that way we can actually get six kids out at one time and we can have a coach with them, teaching them what they need to learn. And then we can also like increase the pace of play by doing that. So not yeah. everyone's playing their own ball. And also it's way less intimidating because if you mess up, what you're going to mess up, there's the odds one of you are isn't going to mess up. So <laughs> um, it's been great because now I can go to a golf course. So we partnered with a golf course to, to start this initiative. And they're like, okay, we're only going to give you five tee times because the rest of the times are booked with member play and all that kind of stuff. Well, great. If I, five times six is 30 kids, I get 30 kids out for a golf tournament mm. and actually maintain a good pace of play and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's just little things like that, introducing golf in unique ways, not, not breaking the old school style of golf, but mm-hmm. just moderni- modernizing it a little bit. Yeah. It could really help bring more people to the game and I think make the game a little bit better. Yeah. Well, especially in today's society where everything's go, 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 go. Yep. Um, but also people really appreciate their time now. I mean, so yeah. with with remote work, mm-hmm. right, and people having flexible work schedules, now more than ever do I see people who want to play golf for a full day. Yeah. Don't okay. mind it, right? I want to escape from work. Get me away from work. I want to, I want to be out on the golf course and all this kind of stuff. And, and so we're starting to see – these people with this flexible work schedule actually creating time to golf where previously before Mm. COVID that wasn't a thing. They're like, I gotta get in and out because I'm just, I'm grinding. Right. And I think that's going to be here to stay. I mean, I think that's a very important part of like our generation's work environment is now more flexible, the ability to work remotely and them appreciating their time off kind of thing which for a hustler like me is fine because that means there's more opportunity for me now to hustle while you guys are slacking. But I, I do think that golf will benefit from that. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely something, because I started meditating <clears throat> a lot more during 2020 when there was more time, but there's definitely something that's nice about slowing down. But so many of us are back in the hustle now again. You know, well, we yeah. bounce back real quick. So yeah, in 2020, <laughs> I got really into ice baths. Yeah, I saw that. I messaged you. I'm like, dude, I need to do one. Yep. I've been wanting to buy one for ages. So um, I... How long can you go for? I, I go for three minutes. That's good. Three minutes. So it started early 2020. Um, my dad actually got me into this idea of doing ice baths. We really like this company called XPT, which is Extreme Performance Training. Laird Hamilton is a surfer, mm-hmm. and it's his company. And they have a lot of like breathing techniques and interesting ways to adapt and recover and all this stuff. And I've been in the CrossFit space for a long time. So I've always been that go, 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 train intensity mentality. Now, the thing I really liked about ice baths is not necessarily from a recovery standpoint, but from a mental health benefit standpoint, because I truly believe in today's society, we have it so easy Mm. that we create a lot of our own stress that are artificial stressors. And when you create... um, the stimulus of stress, physical stress, rather than mental and emotional stress, it almost overrides your system so that you then calm down. So when I do my ice bath, I look at it as, which, so I, I probably, I ice bath once a day. That's how yeah. I start my morning. Um, and, uh, and my mood 
is significantly improved. My sleep has significantly improved. My ability to manage stressful situations has significantly improved as well because what it does is it puts you into this extreme fight or flight stage in which you then with proper training and breathing techniques and all that kind of stuff, calm yourself down. The reason I stop after three minutes is because I'm comfortable. Mm. It's not like I'm still just like so cold I need to get out. I'm comfortable at three minutes. I could be in there for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes if I wanted to, but the stimulus of that shock mm. is gone after three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that with um cold showers. cold showers in Florida are not cold. No. Compared to you go to West Virginia, I'm like, yep. ah! I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one it takes a lot longer to get used to it. But you're right, it's like that initial shock and then all of a sudden it's oh it's just normal. It's just normal. I haven't, so I haven't even done an ice bath once. I think I did 45 seconds to a minute, 10 maybe. Yeah. Um, you you could do three minutes for sure. I know. I believe I, you could do three minutes. It was my hand. The the thing was, it was my hands. Yeah. My hands, when I was out like that yep. and like resting. Yeah, fine. It was fine. As soon the as you get those limbs in, with low, with low oh, blood circulation and all that kind of stuff. Killed yeah. me. Yeah, I was yeah, done. Yeah. My wife's well, done 13 minutes. That's awesome. And then... The, if she knows people are watching her that she needs to impress, mm -hmm. that woman's brain, it's like, it's insane. That's awesome. The second it's me, she's like, F you. <laughs> <laughs> I think she did like a minute, two minutes when I was with her. Well, yeah, we'll have at the, the Thunder Performance is the name of the gym. We'll have a, a fire and ice room. So we'll have oh, a, cool. a cold tub and a sauna. Yeah, nice. Infrared or normal? You know, I haven't looked in. I know I, I have the ice tub. I have the room is being built. It's going to be big enough for basically a single or a double sauna, mm -hmm. but it's probably going to be infrared. Ah, yeah, okay. It's going to be infrared. Because I always stick towards regular. Yeah. I'm like, there's a lot. There's there's so much in it, but I'm like, yeah. My this is just me. My question is, it's like it's still semi new. I don't know if it's going to be like. Um, tanning beds you know when everyone's like tanning oh, yeah, beds i'm gonna yeah, get tanned yeah. then true. like 10 that's years true. later they're like ah yeah just the idea of putting infrared through my body at you know yeah i'm like true. there's too many uh, too many question marks still it's the same with um bluetooth i don't have bluetooth headphones ever really so um the story behind that in, in nutshell is when like you know when you sleep and you're awake if you're asleep, your brain is operating in a wavelength of theta. When you're awake, it's operating on beta. There's this thing related to that tattoo of Jasper. Um, long story short, I came across a CIA paper that was talking about going halfway in and out of dream state by um, changing your mental, uh, sorry, your brain's wavelengths. Mm -hmm. And so I listened through normal headphones, but different wavelengths. Mm -hmm. And I had this crazy like tripping out experience of just, it was like a life realization mm. and something I knew about the, I knew who or what it was. I was like, oh, thanks Jasper. And I was like, that's weird, hmm. you know? Um, so my theory with Bluetooth is it's, Bluetooth is an extremely high wavelength. Yep. If that's going straight through my ears, if I could manipulate being in and out of sleep, right? What I mean, I just—it's too early for me to have faith in Bluetooth yet. All right. So I always like same with saunas. I'm like I always stick with the heat of humidity. Yeah, rather than the infrared. Yeah, Makes that's sense. just my thing. I yeah. mean, most people don't have a problem with it, but well, so it's it like like I said, I have this goal of living to a hundred and having the physical capacity to walk eighteen holes mm. when I'm a hundred years old. 
Now that that's four times my current life right now. I'm 25 years old, so I got which four, is wild to think, four, huh? Wild to think about, <laughs> yeah. right? So I always balance like the okay, the infrared and the like, the processed foods and all those kinds of stuff. like I balance those in and out. Mm. But I also know that it is a part of today's society. And if I just strictly like, if I just if I hid in a cave and people brought me food, I would live to a hundred. Yeah. Right. But what would my quality of life be to that mm. point? And so it's a, it's a fine balance between understanding that your everyday actions have long-term consequences. However, it's important to understand what are indulgences, what are not, and mm. how to enjoy those indulgences as what they are. Yeah. Right. And I think, um, I think one of the best things that I try and do is I don't try and um, replace great with good. Mm. And what I mean by that is, so when you're looking at great, healthy options for food, it's beet, vegetables, nuts and seeds. It's, it's things that came from a tree, grew from the ground, or had a heartbeat. Those are great, healthy food options. Chickpea pasta. <laughs> which is high protein pasta is a good option, mm. but it's not a great option, right? And why would I choose a good option for a great option? Cause then I'm leaning in towards that indulgence, but I'm not all the way, it's not pasta. It's mm. not as good as pasta, like just like traditional pasta. So um, you have to pick like, okay, am I doing a good, am I do, like how many great options can I choose? When I, when I have ice cream or dessert, right? It's gonna be great ice cream until, until great. after. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. After sucks. The after sucks. <laughs> and, and it, yes, but but like I'm not gonna get the Halo Top because it's a good option. I can have mm. more good options because yeah. right, it doesn't taste nearly as good as Ben and Jerry's. Right, I'm trying to pick a great option, but I realize I can't have that option every single day. Mm. But if I had a Halo Top, I bet I could have that two, three times a week kind of thing. But then I'm picking too many good options, so I'm always trying to find great options whether they are indulgences or they are things that are actually healthy for me. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can really find a good balance of good versus great and pick more great options, you're just gonna live not only a healthier life, but a happier life too. Yeah, yeah. Well, the cool thing with um, normal saunas, because I do I do 20 minutes in 170. Mm -hmm. um, I try and do two, three times a week, but I've only been doing one lately. It is insane the difference of how you feel after. Yeah like um happier uh limber uh, kind of elevated is the yeah, best way to sure. explain it for sure um but the mental gymnastics you have to do sometimes too and i love it when it's there's no one in there with me yep because it's harder yeah for if sure. i'm chatting to someone do 20 minutes just flies by flies yep versus that meditative meditative state of no one's there you can feel the excuses coming in. Mm -hmm. You can feel the justifications coming in. Of, yep. All right, um, you know, fifteen minutes isn't bad. Like, no, you. S it seems to be eleven or twelve minutes is where the, the doubt starts coming yeah, in. Yeah, I, I don't have enough time. experience with it, but the few experiences I do have, they've been. You feel great afterwards. Mm. You feel great, and I would love to do it on a more regular basis currently the ice bath i've already bought i've got it set up it's on my lanai in my house mm -hmm. then we're going to move it to the gym but i wanted it but it's something i'm familiar with and my wife's like we're not buying a sauna for our house yet just wait till the gym's open do it because <laughs> um yeah i'd love i haven't done the ice bath properly since that time in sydney 
And it's, uh, I mean, I tried it. We filled up the bathtub with ice. Mm-hmm. The Floridian cold water warmed it up too quickly. Yep. Like, <laughs> well, it's definitely, yeah, you have to, I mean, nor, like when I was doing it previously, I had a horse trough and I would get mm. 120 pounds of ice that I put in there. And so oh. that would get it to about 38 mm. degrees, right around 40. But it was still water. Yeah. So when I did that, I could get comfortable and I would have this thin layer of warm water around my body while I sat there, right? So initially it was like this super shock, but by three minutes I was cool and relaxed. Mm-hmm. Well, now with my ice bath that I have that has an automatic cooling system, the water circulates. So mm. I keep it at 50 degrees, but the water's circulating and it's way harder than 38 degrees. Really? Because the water's just continuing to move and I don't get this slight thermal layer oh. around my body that's keeping the, the water within a millimeter around my body slightly warmer mm. because the water's constantly moving. Interesting. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Huh. And, and so like, I mean, that's that's like 55 to 50 degrees is like the ideal one if you have circulating water. It's cold, it shocks you, but it's not at a level of like, okay, this is kind of dangerously cold. Mm-hmm. Where with the other ice bath, I was like, okay, this is getting really cold. But <laughs> I would have that thermal layer around me so I could handle it. Kind of. Yeah, so if you really want to mess with someone, just move the water a little oh, bit. Oh, it's brutal. Oh, yeah. That so, makes sense. Yeah. It's like wind. Yeah, oh, it's, 100%. Sydney is super windy. Um, it's like, you know, the weather, it's the forecast is like, oh, it's not that bad. But you go, like, Sydney's wind? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Stacy used to just be miserable. She's like, this is not what Australia is marketed as. Because <laughs> it just cuts right through you. <clears throat> um, but yeah, man, I think that's hour and 45, huh? Yeah. Time flies, right? Time flies. <laughs> um, for anyone listening, Thor, where can they reach you on socials, etc.? cetera? Sure. Um, if you want to reach me personally, it's at Thor the Coach. Uh, that's my Instagram. That's my Facebook. Um, that's also the little things I have on YouTube. Um, but as well on social media, you can follow us at the Junior Golf Performance Academy, which is the academy I have here in Naples, and Thunder Performance, which is the uh, gym I'm opening in August. And I'm super excited about it. I'm excited to have you. Heck yeah. Um, all right, cool guys. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, hit that notifications button as well if you're on Spotify and YouTube. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you to Thor. Thanks, mate. Thank you. All right, bye, everyone. Whoa. Woo. I need to pee so bad. <laughs> <laughs>